Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma. You're listening to localjobnetwork.com radio. This is Employment Notebook, where we speak with our expert guests on just about any topic related to one's work and career. For example, can you be generous and still succeed professionally? Well, that's the question many people have asked throughout the years. Our guest today, Adam Grant, is the youngest full professor at Wharton, and he's also the author of Give and Take, a book documenting the extraordinary success many have had being productively generous. Give and Take was actually recognized by Amazon, Apple, and the Wall Street Journal among the best books of 2013. Adam, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you, Tim. So I guess, first of all, the idea of behind the book and being productively generous, I guess for yourself, where did that come from? Why did you have this thought of something you wanted to explore? Well, I had a lot of students come into my office hours looking for career advice. And I would ask them about their goals, and frequently they would say that they really wanted to make a difference and help others. Mm -hmm. So they were going to accumulate as much wealth as they could for the next 35 years and then start giving back. That may work for Bill Gates or the robber baron, (laughs) but for most of us, I think it's backward that instead of trying to succeed first and then give back, it's actually more productive to give first and then success comes along the way. And Hmm. I thought it would be just fascinating to be able to document how that works. Okay. Now, one of the areas that I thought was fascinating was we think generous, we think nice, and that they go hand in hand. They're the same thing, essentially. Your argument is it's not quite that way. Can you explain to listeners why and what the key differences are? Yeah, there's a personality trait called agreeableness, which sort of captures being a nice person, warm, friendly, welcoming, polite. Disagreeable people tend to be more critical, skeptical, and challenging. Okay. And that differs from really being a giving or helpful person because being nice is about your surface veneer, hmm. right? Agreeable people are pleasant to interact with. But whether you're thinking about being helpful, generous, and giving is much more about your inner intentions than, you know, your art or style of interaction. Okay. And so when you, when you interact with somebody, just because they're nice to you doesn't mean they really care about your interests. That's fair. <laughs> so when you're looking at it from that, that deeper sense, I guess, is it altruistic that people have this innate feeling, you know, I want to be able to help people and, and that's what guides them? Is there something else? I mean, from your experience, what have you seen and what have you researched? Well, the evidence suggests that, that most acts of giving and helping are driven by multiple motives. Okay. It doesn't have to be purely altruistic. And in fact, altruism turns out to be dangerous because people who try to sacrifice themselves for others are the ones who are the most vulnerable to burnout. Hmm. Ironically, if you can balance your desire to help others with your own goals and concerns, then even though you're less altruistic in your motivations, in your behavior, you turn out to be more generous and more giving because you preserve your energy and your resources to continue helping. And so, you know, I think that most of us don't want to be selfish. We avoid that side of the (laughs) spectrum. We also don't want to be purely selfless, though, because then we do sacrifice ourselves. And I ended up uh, calling the people who balance these things effectively otherish. Uh, you know, putting other people first most of the time, but also keeping their own interests in the rearview mirror. Okay. <laughs> to me, just in talking about it, obviously it sort of spins everything on on its head, and it sounds extremely difficult to do, and and really almost to comprehend on this sort of smaller scale. So. I guess, can you lead us a little bit into understanding how, how am I more productive if I'm acting more in the ways you're talking about, not sort of this on the surface, but this deeper idea of, of generosity? How, to sound selfish, how does it help me as opposed to the original idea of, well, I'm going to step on you to, to go up the ladder? Well, 
the first thing to say is that if you give because you think it's going to make you successful, it's probably not going to work. Right. You, you failed already at the, the idea of this, haven't you then? You're done. <laughs> but the good news is most of us hold strong values around giving and, and helping. And we hold back because we fear that we're going to get taken advantage of by the takers among us. Sure. But those fears turn out to be largely misplaced because there are really three key advantages of, of helping others consistently with no strings attached. The first one, I think, is the most obvious, which is the relationship and reputation gains. When givers spend a lot of their time trying to make other people better off, they build a lot of goodwill and trust, and they end up developing deeper and broader connections. The reputations tend to spread because most people fall into this category of not being givers or takers, but being matchers. Hmm. Matchers basically say, look, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you, and we're trading favors. And matchers believe that givers deserve to succeed because that's only fair. And so they will actually go out of their way to promote givers and, and make sure that everybody knows how generous <laughs> they are. The second advantage is one of motivation, that if you spend a lot of your time and energy helping others, you're able to connect your work to a higher purpose and feel like what I do actually has an impact, mm-hmm. which then energizes you to work harder, smarter, longer, and more creatively. And then I think the, the third benefit that's, that's probably the least visible is that giving actually helps you learn. There's evidence to suggest that when you spend your time trying to solve other people's problems and share your knowledge and skills with them, you can actually take information back to both allow you to do your work more effectively and and bring in new creative perspectives. But also, you get to practice general problem-solving skills, which Mm -hmm. spill over to benefit you. So you could say uh, you, you get better relationships, you end up with higher motivation, and you also become a little bit smarter. I like that. I like the way you broke it down. I think that helps the listeners sort of wrap their head around a little bit. I want to touch on the idea of matchers because that that sort of stuck out, basically how you describe that. That sounds a lot like when people go out and do sort of your typical networking. Is that, do you see that? Do you think that's a a problem sort of with the traditional idea of how people network? It is. If, If you look at people's attitudes about networking, there are a lot of people who believe that they're supposed to be either matchers or takers. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the matchers basically go around trying to, to figure out what other people want and then make some kind of fair exchange. Right. And the problem with that is that it, it feels very transactional. Right? Like, Tim, I didn't really care about you. I was just helping you <laughs> so I could get what I wanted. Oh, come on, Adam. <laughs> I, I know. It's nothing personal. But the takers are, end up even worse on this, this front because you know, they end up basically becoming really good fakers in the short run. Mm. And they're, they're quite charming, especially when dealing with powerful people. But then you get to see more and more of their true colors when, you know, when they reveal that they don't seem to care that much about other people. And I think that if we were to flip networking on its head, it's, it's really about how can I add value to the people around me and, and try to help them in, in some meaningful way. And, and that's an investment in a relationship, not an attempt to get something from someone. Right. Now, an interesting phrase that you had, and actually, obviously, we have the book Give and Take um, that is available plenty of places for people to find out. But also, uh, you had a little article that touched on a little more specific points from there. And I thought one interesting part you had under the section called On the Road to Thriving, you have Nice Guys May Finish Last, which is actually an old uh, baseball manager who said Nice Guys Finish Last, but Good Guys Finish First. Can you explain the difference between Nice Guys Finish Last, but Good Guys Finish First? Yeah, so you know, you can you can really sort of look at a, a whole range of, of being a giver or a good guy or gal from the standpoint of, you know, how nice are you? And if you just focus on being a nice guy, you're the person who says yes to all the people all the time with all the requests. And that's a recipe for getting burned out and getting exploited by the takers among us. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just focus on being a good person, which usually means looking out for other people's long term best interests not dropping everything for anyone who asks, not you know, helping in ways that don't align with your skills, and not necessarily helping the takers. 
then it's a lot easier to sort of balance your desire to be productive with your goals of, of contributing to others. And you know, I think what you see is that you know, nice guys do spread themselves too thin, mm-hmm. whereas you know, the people who, who just focus on you know, how can I contribute the most value are the ones who end up giving a lot to givers and matchers, but they protect themselves from takers. Right? You don't have to be nice to everyone, especially if they're selfish. And then they also say, look, I'm going to find one or two ways of giving that I enjoy and excel at. And that way, when I help, it's going to be energizing and efficient. And it's also going to allow me to develop a reputation, not just for being a doormat that you can walk all over, but for being somebody who has a unique skill set that's valuable and that you know, we should really respect their time. How then do you maybe, I don't want to say, say no to somebody, but if you feel it's not going to be helpful to them in the long term or that you are being taken advantage of, what would you suggest maybe if it was to your students or to professionals that you're speaking to? how to handle that scenario? Because I feel that's where sometimes people get stuck of just trying to be nice and help out. It's a huge problem and it's something that I've historically struggled with. So I read a blog post last month called Eight Ways to Say No Without Hurting Your Image, which was a reflection, I guess, on, on my experience <laughs> over the past year of, of just after releasing the book, getting flooded with requests and realizing I could not say yes to everyone. Right, right. And you know, of the eight, I think there, there are a couple that I've, I've found especially useful for me. One is basically trying to consolidate the requests that come in. So if, if you spend just a week or two tracking the number of, of things that people ask you for, you'll notice that some of them are very similar. Mm. Right? So like as a, an organizational psychologist, I have a lot of people who ask me for career advice. I'm not a career counselor. And I, I have a hard time giving advice to people that I don't know. Right. But I found that oftentimes I, I give them the same kinds of general tips. And so if I can put them in you know, a, a Skype conference call or a Google Hangout, then you know, I don't have to have the same conversation 20 different times. I can give everybody the same information and then figure out who it's most helpful to follow up with. So it's a no to the original request, but it's, it's still saying yes to, to trying to share some information with them. When that doesn't work, I think the, the most effective technique for me is to remember that every single no that I give is opening the door for me to say yes when it matters most. Hmm. And so I try to prioritize who I want to say yes to. For me, that's family first, student second, colleagues third, everyone else fourth. And so, you know, when, when somebody reaches out who's, let's say, you know, in the distant colleague category, and I feel like this is not something I can be helpful with, what I have in mind is that I have a wife and three kids and about 360 students a year where I'm going to be letting them down if I keep saying yes to these other requests. Sure. And so, you know, then just by being really open and transparent about that, it's a lot easier for me to say, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not unwilling to be helpful, but I do have to make some tough choices and this is where I've chosen to invest my energy. I really love that piece of advice because we hear so much about prioritizing our own work, but to your point, it, it falls into line with helping others as well. So I, I think that's a great practical piece of advice for our listeners out there. I think along those same lines uh, and, and sort of on the reverse side is the mention that part of being generous really is receiving help. And, and you mentioned obviously being able to learn from certain situations where does that come into play as far as the importance of receiving as much as you do give? I think that a lot of people think that if they're going to be givers, then they can never ask for help because then they become takers. Hmm. But there's a big difference between taking and receiving. Okay. Taking is using other people for personal gain, whereas receiving is saying, look, we all need help sometime. I'm going to accept your contribution and then maintain a willingness to pay it back or pay it forward. And what's really important about that is you can have givers without takers, but you can't have givers without receivers. Hmm. And so, you, you know, if you push this idea to its logical extreme, if nobody ever asks for help or accepts it, then nobody ever gives either. 
And so one one of the the more interesting conversations I've had with that with some givers who are really terrible at asking <laughs> is to you know to just start with a simple question of you know do do you do you actually enjoy giving? Hmm. And the answer is you know yes I think it's like when it works and when it's the right kind of request for the right person it's probably the most meaningful and energizing thing that I do. And then the logical follow up is well how could you deprive other people of that joy by never asking them for anything? And then what's great is givers start to feel guilty and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been letting everyone else around me down because I'm not letting them help me. So I, you know, I think that, that we all need to get better at receiving if we want to catalyze more giving. Uh, again, I think that's a fascinating way of looking at things and something probably people overlook quite a bit. We are getting a little low on time here, but I wanted to give you enough ample opportunity to share anything else that you'd really like to give our listeners here sort of as a nice summary of what we've been talking about, a takeaway for them. Uh, again, I think you've given the listeners and myself some great piece of advice and just perspective on it. But what's something you'd really like to emphasize or maybe something we didn't touch on that you'd like to wrap up with here? Well, I would say one of my favorite ideas that I came across while doing research for Give and Take was from the serial entrepreneur Adam Rifkin, who's a great example of an extremely successful giver. And Adam said, look, if you want to be a giver, you don't have to be Mother Teresa or Gandhi. Rather, what you want to do is just try to do a few more five-minute favors every week. Five-minute favors is just a simple way of adding high value to other people's lives at a low personal cost. I think we can all make more time for these, and it's a nice way to try to think a little bit more about giving back without exhausting yourself or sacrificing your own goals and ambitions. I think that is a perfect way to wrap things up here on this edition of Employment Notebook. Again, we've been talking with Wharton professor Adam Grant. He's also the author of Give and Take, where you can read about being productively generous and also find more great examples of all the items we've been talking about today. Adam, thanks again for joining us here on LJN Radio. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. And of course, we also want to hear from you, the listener. If you have any comments or suggestions, just shoot an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com if you do have any thoughts related to any of our podcasts here on LJN Radio. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. 